point, no contact. And I got a slew of phone calls from her from different numbers and text messages saying, hey, stranger, how are you? And I'm Jake Deptula. On today's episode of Strictly Stalking, we're speaking with Abigail, who was stalked by a friend she met when she was 13. Abigail met the popular girl at school and they were soon inseparable, but the friend was obsessed with her Beverly Hills lifestyle. Her friend soon introduced Abigail to drugs and alcohol, along with cutting and self-harm. The relationship was toxic and went downhill when Abigail was sexually abused, body shamed, and emotionally tormented. When Abigail tried to pull away, her friend attempted suicide and she was put into a mental hospital. After being released from the hospital, the girls reconnected their friendship, but then went separate ways after high school. Years later, Abigail's stalker reached out again, but things went downhill quickly when Abigail realized the girl was telling her lies about her life. When Abigail ended the toxic friendship, the stalking started back up. She is here today to talk about the devastating effects that stalking has had on her life. Abigail, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Tell us about your life growing up. I I grew up in a family who are filled with like storytelling and art and in show business. I was a baby of a family and I wanted to find out what I wanted to do within the arts and if that was the arts. But mainly it was, uh, to put it short and sweet, it was more uh, unpredictable, exciting. I lived in RVs. I lived all over uh, California. I lived in Beverly Hills. I grew up in Beverly Hills. Um, in two mansions in Beverly Hills, uh, crazily enough. it's. But yeah, my, my family was, as I said, very artistic. And I started to write screenplays and acts. I acted when I was five, became disinterested in that and started uh, writing and directing and producing when I turned about 21. And, but before that, a lot of, a lot of movies and my mother, my mother passed away when I was 12 and she passed away in front of me and my sister who was 17 at the time, like five years old. And that was difficult. It's very difficult. Uh, obviously, anybody who's lost a, a parent would understand. It's um, she died of a asthma attack, led to heart failure. You met your stalker when you were very young. Tell us about how you met her, what she was like, what the first meeting was. I met her when I was twelve, and she was the most popular girl in a school that was next to mine. I didn't want to be at the school I was going to anymore. My mother, she passed away. I wanted to do drugs. I wanted to, I was rebellious. And I was living in Beverly Hills and going to a, a school very far away from Beverly Hills because that's where we lived with our mom and I had friends there. I saw her at her school and I didn't speak to her yet, but I immediately wanted to be her friend. I was always that person to like, if I felt drawn by somebody, I initiated, I went after that person. I struck up a conversation when I was five, when we went through drive-thrus with my family, I would see a, a guy like 
give out the food and the drive through and like McDonald's employee. I was like, you're cute. And so I would like, I was pretty out there and loud. And, and with my stalker, I was definitely honing in on this person I want to know because I keep hearing about them. And she was the most popular girl. I was uh, like a grieving, like I remember I said before, a grieving artist. I was uh, a kid who was insecure and lost and just wanted somebody who can have a best friend. And she looked like she could be my best friend. My impression of her was definitely inaccessible. And anything that's inaccessible, I think people can get drawn to because it's like a challenge. When we hung out, uh, she would come over to my house in Beverly Hills. She absolutely did love the Beverly Hills lifestyle that I had. She would drop ecstasy. I would drop ecstasy with her. We would party. We would do a lot of crazy stuff, like go to random places. And just she was a lot more rebellious than I. I was always on the cautious side of things. It was hot, cold behavior constantly while, you know, demanding, very demanding. And when it came to like 15, 16, 17, there were good times. There was good times of like hanging out, going to the movies or watching different movies. But mainly it was like, I was a, a doormat and also an enabler. I, you know, a kid who she demanded money because I lived in Beverly Hills. I gave it to her for weed. And when I say demand, I mean, like, she was loud and she pushed me a lot. She would, like, literally push me and tell me, like, give me money. And I gave it to her. But then she was really sweet. And if anybody is aware of narcissism, <laughs> it's the, that push-pull, you know, that hot-cold. And I would run to my sister and say, she doesn't like me. She doesn't like me. I'd be so insecure. What did your other friends think of this new friendship that you're building with her? I know my my best friend, she was uh she was pissed off. <laughs> but we're all kids and uh she was pissed off. She said you left me for her? Like do you know like this was like cuz there's two schools. There's the one that was dysfunctional emo and then there's the one that was straight edge, Abercrombie and Fitch. And so my Abercrombie and Fitch friend, she's like, no, no, that, that person, she's popular. Yeah, Abercrombie and Fitch friend was the popular one, too, at the different school. But she's like, no, she can't. No, if you want to hang out with her, fine. But, you know, she was pissed off. And eventually our friendship faded and I was all my soccer's friends, and unless she was reminding me daily about how I'm not her best friend or I am her best friend or this person's her best friend. And yeah, yeah, people, they had the impression that we were the tightest and like very tight knit, could not, inseparable. Both of us leaned on each other and, you know, it was a, a mutual thing to where we both needed our, each other and, and loved each other. What were your soccer's parents and her family like? How did they treat you? They didn't treat me so wonderfully. My stalker has a lot of half-siblings and brothers and all that. She was not around. She was not really involved. Her grandmother helped raise her, and but she was her, her grandmother 
was difficult, and that's an understatement. What happened the night that she attempted suicide? My friend at the time, she couldn't allow, or she didn't have any permission to bring friends into her home, her grandmother's home. So I would have to climb up a tree. And I did. I, I, would climb, I climbed up a tree, and I got into her bedroom window, and she wanted a 40. So I brought it over. And so she was drinking a 40, and I had a 40 actually right next to me that I didn't drink. I, I remember her drunk and her pulling out a wooden little box. I never seen it before, and I said, what is that? And she opened it. And there were blades, there was a little bit of like gauze and cotton balls and blades like from pink shaving blade type small ones to really, really thick ones and but many, many blades. And I, and she told me it's her cutter's kit and she said it pretty happily. Like she said it with uh, some pride and smiled and she told me do you want to cut ourselves together I told her no I don't want to cut myself I don't think you should cut yourself either we can't do that and we shouldn't do it put it away we do something else we can watch a movie and she said no no let's do it let's do it let's cut ourselves I said no no I'm not going to and you shouldn't either I kept pressing and she kept pressing too. Eventually, she just shut up and she just stopped talking. I looked down. There was an awkward silence. I looked down at this 40 that I haven't touched. And then I looked up and I saw she swipes a blade across her arm. And as if it was like, and I always say this, angrily swiping a credit card at a grocery store, just going. And it was so quick. And so fast. Immediately, I saw her put her hands on her arm and just kind of look forward with this blank stare. I went to her and I said, look at me. And she looked me in the eyes and she looked petrified. I said, you just cut yourself? And she said, yes. She was already very pale and she was already turning blue. And blood was dripping down her whole arm. And I looked down and I said, you need to look away. And because if you look down at the cut, you can go into shock. And you can't go into shock right now. And so she looked away and I removed her arm and I saw a big, wide, wide gash. All of her fatty tissues, everything, her whole arm was open. And so I took her arm, I immediately, like, I just try to create like a tourniquet and hold that wound and close it with my palm and with my fingers. And I screamed for her sister and her sister came in after like the fourth time I was screaming and she came in annoyed going, what is it? And I said, she's cut herself. You gotta get the, you gotta give me a phone, give me a phone now, call 911, get me towels, get me towels. And then her sister looked very, very worried. Her grandmother came in, and she was not shocked at all, although there was all this blood. And her granddaughter, 
is really, really blue at this point. I told her grandmother, call 911. She said that would be too expensive. We're going to the hospital. We're driving there. And I'm holding on to her in the back seat, and she says, I'm cold. And I look down, and I see that she has no shoes on, and I only have socks on. And I manage to keep my arm, my hand on her arm, and keep that my the pressure on the wound. And I put the, my socks onto her feet. We got to the hospital. They made us wait for about, like, 20, 30 minutes. And we are in a holding area. And... A nurse comes, and now what feels like is so long is very quick. They just take away my best friend. My best friend goes away and leaves. After that night, your friend went into a mental hospital. Can you tell us how that came about? Well, she was she was uh, suicidal, and she was diagnosed with borderline there. Uh, borderline personality disorder, but how it came about, I wasn't in, I, I didn't know anything. I wasn't privy to any information. The family cut me off. I only did speak to, when she was in the mental institution, I spoke to her sister and her sister, while we weren't friends or not talking, my stalker and I weren't speaking because she wouldn't speak to me. She wouldn't answer my calls when I would call the institution. She wouldn't call me back. She wouldn't speak to me. And she just, I, I didn't know what happened. So I basically, I, I always hung out with my sister. I went to school and I started to work more in the entertainment industry and, and do things on my own. How long was she in the mental institution? For less than a year. And once she got out, how were you guys able to reconnect? She came back to California and she lived in the same place. She would come over to my house in Beverly Hills and hang out there a lot. Went back to school. I went to the same school, went to high school. And, but during this time, there was no like moment where we really re- had like a time to sit down and reconnect. What's what's horrible, and now that I'm realizing this, after something so traumatic and extreme, you would think that we would sit down and talk about it, but we didn't. And that was my friend's mo. Nothing happened, although something really horrible did. That was always her her thing. And so, yeah, it's, uh, we just, we, we did school and we would hang out, but I kind of just thought to myself, she, she had a, she acted out. I didn't know at that age as suicide attempts. I didn't know the words. I just knew what I endured from it. And I was at a loss because I couldn't bring it up, but we still became friends uh, up until 17. And that's when she just upped and left uh, out of my life. She didn't want to speak to me at all anymore. It's a new year and that means new goals. Together, we can do this. Let's save time, eat fresh, avoid takeout, and even grocery shopping for meals. It's time to try Factor. 
I just went online and told them about my dietary lifestyle and their chefs prepared ready-to-eat meals customized to my tastes with the ingredients I want and nothing I didn't. And every one of my meals is approved by a dietitian. Keto, calorie smart, vegan, veggie, protein plus, they have everything covered for you. And it's no secret I can barely cook and I hate to grocery shop, but I do love great meals and I definitely need variety. They have 34 ready to eat fresh, never frozen meals that are ready in just two minutes. And if you want to round out your meal and replenish your snack supply, they have an assortment of 36 quick bites, smoothies, juices, and more satisfying add-ons. If you want to save time and eat clean without having to leave your place to roam the aisles of the supermarket like I did, have Factor delivered right to your door. Head to factor75.com slash strictly60 and use code strictly60 to get 60% off your first box. That's code strictly60 at factor75.com slash strictly60 to get 60% off your first box. Strictly Stalking is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote and you'll be able to choose the best option for you fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join the over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. After you graduated from high school, when was the next time you heard from her again? So after high school, I, pers- I yeah, I, I was. I was living my life. I was writing, directing, producing, and I wasn't posting too much on social media because I have an aversion to it, but I did have an Instagram. And I, this is 10 years, 10 years until I, I started talking to my stalker again. So it's 10 years in the making. A lot happens in 10 years. I moved. I met uh, different people. You know, the only times that my soccer would come up was if my sister and I were reminiscing about the different crazy stories of our childhood and going back and forth. And my soccer's name would come up and I would say, yeah, can we just not bring her up? I don't want to talk about her. I would always feel a lack of closure, a complete lack of closure from what had happened. And my sister was very supportive in that. She said, look, you know, I understand that happened like with mom and and then right after a friend and then right after the suicide attempt and, you know, all these things and ghosting you. And it's it's a lot. And I, I felt this void within me whenever she would be brought up. So I just, I tried my best to accept it, let it go. Eventually that happened, worked and worked, worked, worked on uh, movies. And then 
I started getting messages of last year, of 2021. I got text messages from people who knew my soccer that I wasn't in contact with or I wasn't friends with. I've always had the same number ever since I was a little kid. And they were talking to me, texting me, saying, hey, it's so-and-so. You remember me? And I went, I don't, I, I mean, do I? Wait, oh, you know so-and-so. You were friends with her. Okay, um, yeah, what's up? And how are you? It's been like how many years? Ten? So basically, um, it was weird. They were asking for so much personal information, where I live, what I'm doing, and they never knew me to begin with. They only knew me through my friend at the time, my soccer. And so I believe that was her. But what happened was I was busy on a production. And finally, with social media, I was told to post about it and advertise it. This pilot, it was, I posted about it first time. And I started seeing little likes from her Instagram account after I posted about more entertainment and photos of me with different celebrities or, you know, at, at different events and another like there, another like here, a friend request from one of her best friends that she used to tell me, you know, remember, that's my best friend. You're not my best friend. And I declined it because I just didn't, I just declined it. But eventually, in May of last year, she reached out after her birthday. And I was posting a lot more on social media of entertainment. And she called me dead in the night on Instagram uh, twice. And in the morning, I was, I was super happy. I woke up and I made it a rule, like, don't touch your Instagram yeah, in the mornings, be peaceful, have your coffee, smoke your cigarette, be on the balcony, relax. And it was super peaceful that I had this pilot that was done that had great people on it, amazing people, a team. And we pulled it all off. And then I looked down and I see that she had called me. And I thought, that's the oddest thing. Who would have thought? I would never have thought this person reaches out to me after being so withholding. And so I prepared myself mentally. I responded to her and I said, hi, how are you? Wow. It's been a long time. Did you call me? And then she texted me, messaged me on Instagram and we went back and forth. And suddenly within, it was like text, like, Boom, 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 like quick, 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 texting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. My whole work day was going and I went, that's not me. I'm a workaholic. And so my intention was on this and event we're reminiscing and about partying and how she's a mom now and how she's, you know, that how, how stupid of that little girl, you know, the, the stalker little girl you know, to party and to do drugs and, you know, how she's doing so much better now. Everybody in her family is happy, how I took care of her and how she's so thankful and grateful. Her Instagram looked perfect, you know, baking with her daughter, 
photos that just by design made it look like she must be so incredibly happy. Wow, 180, good for you, girl. And that wasn't the case. She used it as a tool and still does to show that she is, her image needs to be intact because she has no being inside of her. It's all image. Uh, My stalker messaged me back and said, I need to get on the phone with you. We got on the phone and she said, hi, yeah, I just wanted to, and she's very meek and kind of like scattered breathing on the other end. I'm like, what's going on? She said, I, 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 I need to talk to you. I reached out to you for a reason. My boyfriend, who's my father's kid, he's raped me. He's abused me. He's beaten me. He threw me up against the wall. He hits me every day. It's my kid. And he just drinks and he sleeps and he doesn't do anything. I'm, I've been locked away by his family in a, a room with nothing but a bed and my kid. I've been thrown up against the wall and choked and raped. And then I had my kid. Oh, wait, he's here. He's coming. I got to go. Bye. Hangs up. I wait, petrified. What the heck is going on? I believe in helping and advocating for domestic abuse. My mom was a survivor. Anyway, so she calls back. This happened frequently where it's intervals of 15 minutes, five minutes, hangs up. Lots of graphic information about how she's being abused and how she needs me. Hangs up, calls me back. I wait for 15 minutes and hangs up again. And then again and again and again it goes. Eventually I say, what do you need? What do you need from me? What do you need? How can I help you? Can I call the police? You should call the police. Can't do that. His dad is a part of the police department. I'm cornered on all sides. And eventually I said, look, I'll just come over tonight and you give me, if you can't speak, if you keep hanging up like this, you don't feel safe to talk. I'll come over and meet me. And yeah, where do you live? I'll, I'll come to you. And you just got to give me a signal, a signal that something is, you know, seriously going on. And that's how I can help you. And that's what I'll do. So my boyfriend and I, we went and I told him, I said, we're just going in and out, in and out. This is not anything. And I I repeated this because it's like, I stressed it immensely, the boundaries that I wanted in place that were completely stripped. We're going in and out, making sure this woman is uh, okay. If she's not, we're calling the police. And we got to protect ourselves as well. We can't just help anyone. We go there. It looks like the Stepford Wives in a trailer park. It's freaky. It's creepy. There's beer. They're drunk. There's a loud kid. There's a kid running around. And my boyfriend and I are both like, what in the world is going on? And everybody's so happy with big smiles. And I asked my stalker, what's happening? Do do you need, let's go talk somewhere, you know, girl chat. All right, bye guys. Do you need, you want me to call the cops? Is that a bruise? No, it's not a bruise. No, you don't call the cops. 
I mean, it was it was interesting to say the least and startling. And we left with somebody who didn't need any help. She didn't need the police called. She her life wasn't in jeopardy. And that was it didn't but she pawned it off as like, I just need to keep speaking to you. You give me the motivation, you give me the support that I've always needed and need now in order to get out of this horrible situation I am in. And that made me go, okay, if she needs emotional support, I can put in some good boundaries. How did things become more toxic for you after that initial time when you went to her house? Triangulation was one. So it became more toxic for me because the abusive boyfriend was involved. And without telling me, she would triangulate me against him she would take me and say so like I went over to her house at one point when she was trying to escape him and he wasn't there at one you know one night and all this very dramatic flair is added to it always and I'm there being supportive and she said I finally told him that I'm going to break up we have to break up after like a decade and less than a decade and uh, a kid. And she's like, I finally told him. And I said to him, I, I was like, wait, how did you, what did you say? Like, what did you do? You don't say it like right away. How did he react? She said, I told him that we're in a relationship together and that I'm in love with Abigail. And I said, what? I, I can't believe you. How did you? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you ask me? Why didn't you say anything to me? And she's like, what? We are in a relationship together. And then she would like make it sound like she's joking. But then she'd go, no, seriously, we are in a relationship together, though. I love you. Like, we're soul sisters. I love you so much. And we are. So I told him. She said that she told him for two weeks while we were texting about how different things that he's doing to her and how I can be of help, how she was writing a treatment for me at one point. That's the only way she could see me because she was writing a script treatment, which was a lie. I didn't come up with that lie. She kissed me in front of her abusive boyfriend. And I said, that's dangerous for me. That's dangerous for you. Don't do that again. And I'm uncomfortable. And she said, what are you talking about? He thoroughly got off on it. And I went, wow. I said, okay, just don't do it again. It can put you in a lot of trouble if you care. Like, a lot. And I don't like it. But yeah, so once she finally did the official breakup and told me, that was because she actually, and I do believe her, she was telling him for two weeks straight that we are in a relationship together and we're lesbians for each other. Those are her words verbatim. What was the final straw after reconnecting that you decided you needed to end this relationship again? My mother's anniversary, her death anniversary was coming up. This is only two months of like reconnection. And it's coming up and she's been out of her relationship. She found a new guy very quickly. My time was consumed from her texting me all the time calling me all the time, demanding my time, coming over to the apartment. I didn't, I was working on boundaries pre-reconnection. I didn't have any boundaries and that's on me. 
it's also she inserted herself in her life, in my life, in all ways. And I decided to look up, why do I feel drained? It always starts with like a Google search and anything that's toxic. It's like, why do I feel drained in my friendship? And there's so much online that's really just for relationships and, but friendship, not too much. So I would go on Reddit and I would go on Quora for relationships and I would trick my brain and go think of it like a friendship and get as much info as possible. My sister was incredibly helpful as she had gone through a narcissistic relationship. My sister goes, Hey, what you're going through is what I went through and you have to stop. You're, you're going, you're going down a rabbit hole. You're going down a bad path. And my sister put that in perspective for me that, okay, there's breadcrumbing that's happening. I'm seeing it now a little bit more clearly. I'm going no contact for two days. I only went no contact. I just stopped messaging, texting her back. I didn't give her a reason. I didn't want to give her any energy. She blew up my phone and called me repeatedly throughout the whole entire day. And she called me the next day. She blew up my phone. I felt anxiety and I felt that pride at the same time, which is a mind game in itself. And I felt uncomfortable. I felt, leave me alone. Basically, the breaking point started to happen more and more and more to where I went, okay, I need to see her in person one last time, as crazy as that sounds. And I need her to, I I know all that she's doing now. I see the manipulation. I see the tactics. I see everything, how I've been set up. She came over and that's when she attempted to hit me at one point. I, she told me that we cannot be friends. I didn't provide her stability and structure. And I was just like, wow, the verbal abuse is beyond me and emotionally abuses me. And eventually I had her leave my apartment, not a confrontation or anything after a confrontation. I was crying and I just say I had her go. Her new boyfriend was there and I walked her to his car you know, after hearing such abuse and knowing, all right, I'm done. Like after educating myself, wising up, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. What have I been doing? All this for nothing. And I went no contact and I got a slew of phone calls from her from different numbers and text messages saying, hey, stranger, how are you? All month long on Pluto TV, stream the biggest Tyler Perry movies free. Watch your favorites like Medea's Witness Protection and Medea's Big Happy Family. Join Tyler Perry as he goes on a couples retreat with Sharon Leal in Why Did I Get Married? Or Idris Elba and Gabrielle Union in the Tyler Perry directed film Daddy's Little Girls. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of channels with thousands more movies and TV shows available on live and on demand. Download the free Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in, watch free. everyone. This is Jillian with Court Junkie. Court Junkie is a true crime podcast that covers court cases and criminal trials using audio clips and interviews with people close to the cases. Court Junkie is available on Apple Podcasts and podcast1.com.
Once you went no contact with her, how did the stalking begin and what types of things was she doing? So I went no contact about, yeah, about last year, a week after my mom's anniversary passed. So what happened was she waited two weeks without me reaching out to her. And she always did this and still does to this day a little bit where she'll wait two weeks and then she'll reach out. And I started seeing some suspicious stuff on my Instagram account, on my stories, although I kept it very limited. Like I didn't want to do anything on Instagram because I knew she was active on there. And I just wanted to also be by myself. I didn't want to be posting or communicating with Instagram. I So she texted me, Hey, stranger, how are you doing? Act hands if nothing happened. I didn't respond to these messages. I didn't want to block her just yet. I didn't want to do any of that. But I, every time I would get a text, I would get anxiety. And it would physically shake through my whole body. I dropped it to the bathroom ground going, okay, what's happening to me over a text message? My nervous system was getting just completely shot and triggered of years and years of going through different trauma and re-trauma. And then when I did post, I hit her from my story on Instagram. And when I did post something on my story, I saw a sex bot like this, this, I can't put it any other way. It's this, like this woman, a nude and it's very unattractive women and these profile pictures with random names and too many numbers and they're looking at my story it never happened before right so that's really odd and then I would get more texts each time I would post a story and from her and then eventually I got I know you're on your phone and why are you ignoring me instead of just all these very sweet texts and I went to a, a, an event and she blew up my phone and she knew about this event. And uh, I got an award that night for filmmaking. And she, I had to have security out front and uh, gave them a picture. And so they watched for her. And uh, yeah, she was around that area, around the event, still blowing up my phone. I started getting messages from different people, text messages claiming to be, you know, someone that's Jenny or, hey, Jenny, how are you? And uh, there's been so many of those. And it, there wasn't one moment where I went, what's going on? I knew, oh, no, this is her. This is, uh, this is definitely her. And so fake Instagram accounts happened. The first one was a music producer claiming that they wanted to work with me. And so she, she would interfere. She would become clients, quote unquote. She would approach me as a client. And eventually with this music producer one, I, because it's hiding behind a phone, I did want to get a little bit of an answer. And I said, I asked a question that led to her saying, finally breaking down and saying over Instagram, look, I'm just a single mom. Okay. I'm just a single mom. 
now are you interested in buying our music or what? And so, and then there was another account that spilled all this personal information about their best friend and that how their best friend is horrible to them and how they love them and miss them, that they had a reconnection and that they were the closest in the world. And they were in a, you know, at one point they're in a room together and something serious had happened and all this sounds was very familiar. And then my boyfriend was getting stuff. My sister was getting stuff. My boyfriend was getting news and tons of women asking him over texts and WhatsApp and Instagram. Hey, you know, I, you want to have sex? And yeah, so I didn't message her back even though she kept messaging, I'm calling these numbers back. And they are saying to me, who are you? I never called you. And I learned about spoofing and restaurants would be calling me. And they said, we don't, I don't, I've never heard any what's going on. And this would be going on and on every single day. Now I'm not even exaggerating every day. It would be going on. I would be getting tons of different numbers from the, state that she was in for a mental institution for New York and because relevancy like I shared information about how I love New York to her California Beverly Hills and places where she lived and all area codes those were the fake numbers Google voice numbers that would be calling me I would say about 50 times every day Every day, starting in August all the way up to October. That's when I eventually got a text message from her, from actually her number. I hadn't blocked her, but I blocked her on Instagram. So she texted me, how come you don't talk to me? And I said, that's it. And I I got it. I'm going to, I went to my sister, I went to my boyfriend and I said, look, I'm going to meet up with her and I'm going to talk to her. I, I, I spoke to my therapist and I said, what can I say that can break through to her and stop her? I haven't texted her once. Maybe she needs a tiny bit of closure. She's after all, she is a human. She has borderline. She has narcissism. Maybe she just is looking for something and I can die it down a little bit. So my therapist said, let's get you on a script. Let's make it to where you say one thing and variations of that one thing again and again and again. You do not break. You do not falter. You do not say anything else. She will try to play every single card and gaslight you. But you could try it because right now you have nothing to lose. I tried contacting the police. They couldn't do anything. When you finally decided to contact the police, what did you tell them and how did they respond? I told them that I'm terrified for my life right now. It's very difficult to leave my apartment. I feel like I'm being constantly watched. And I've seen my friends that I've known since I was a kid, essentially, uh, drive by my apartment, show up at liquor stores or just a couple blocks from my apartment. I'm getting these texts, these phone calls, my boyfriend, everybody, all this stuff. I don't feel safe. And then... They said, yeah, we can't do anything. You know, it's unfortunately, this sounds just like cyber 
stalking. You can't really do much with that. You can look into some courts, look into a restraining order. I felt a restraining order is not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything except provoke this, this type of situation. She's already hiding behind the phone. So it's just going to make things worse. So they couldn't do anything. They said themselves and they just pointed me in different directions, resources, uh, self-help lines. And that's where it stopped. Where is your stalker now? Is she still stalking you? Yeah. So she's, um, she's somewhere in last I heard last I knew was that she's, she's actually in a, she was in a relationship or, you know, I don't look at her Instagram. I unblocked her. Sounds crazy, but I believe in like forgiveness. I believe in letting go. And I had so many fake accounts that were blocked that I just went, I'm going to document like screenshot, screenshots, all of these, but unblock, unblock, unblock. I don't want this on my list. And also I hardly use Instagram anymore. She is with her kid and she's probably doing this to a ton of other people. She does whatever she can at all costs for attention. Her friend or her one of her exes a long time ago when we were kids, he follows me on Instagram. Just yesterday, I posted a story for the first time in a while. And I got a text message the day after. And so it's like, I don't know. There's different things where fake accounts will be following the people I follow. I'll go on private and same with my, my boyfriend, but it's died down a lot. It's died down tremendously to where I get text messages where she poses as somebody else. The last one was recent to where she said, hi, it's been a long time. And that was last week. Do you think that she'll ever fully stop stalking you? No. But I think what's more important is, I mean, one day maybe she'll just get like so disinterested or just like, I don't know. But I think it's more important for me that I realize it's not about her stopping. It's about her. It's about me going, finding the person who I was and reclaiming her and going, okay, if you show up, show up. I'm not afraid of you. I'm certainly not afraid. I don't let it consume me anymore. That's it. Why did you decide to go public with your story? Why did you come forward? Well, I I hope that it helps somebody, at least one person. Or at at least, like, one thing that I had said. I remember Googling so much last year when everything was at its peak and highest. I would go to Google. I would go to the, the Bible. I would go to so much to find that validating piece of information and go, oh, that's something I can use. And if somebody can at least just take one word or one sentence I say and be able to go, wow, yeah, no, I can change my perspective because it's all these baby steps and it's up to them. It's up to the individual, however they process it, whatever clicks. What advice do you have for someone who has a toxic friendship that gives another person access to their life and then ultimately has to deal with a stalking situation. 
you've got to have a support system and you've got to educate yourself because the more that you find out about yourself and the more you find out about what's going on in your life, whatever it is, especially when it's toxicity or abuse, you are able to dismantle its power. And it starts to go from huge, looming, and big, and dark, and gargoyle evil thing lurking over you to, all right, it's going smaller and smaller and smaller. What's life like for you now? Quieter, nicer. I love how the thoughts have gotten quiet. Abigail, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Abigail. If anyone out there is in need of help or is a victim of stalking, please reach out. You can find a list of resources on our Instagram at Strictly Stalking Pod. If you'd like to share your story with us on Strictly Stalking, you can reach us at strictlystalkingpod at gmail.com. That's strictlystalkingpod at gmail.com. As a listener of Strictly Stalking, please leave a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. I'm Jake Deptula. And I'm Jamie Beebe. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Strictly Stalking.